Thank you for tuning in today to our newest episode of Wondercast, a community collaborative podcast brought to you by Wonders and Worries, highlighting resources and stories for our families navigating chronic illness. In today's episode, I am joined by a dear friend and cancer survivor, Laura Aya, while we discuss the complexities of returning to life after treatment, quite literally beginning anew. I am so excited to be moving into this new year. I always have to laugh a little bit. The new year is filled with new resolutions and everyone is always focused on being the new and the better. And I don't know about you, but this year feels very much the same and worse. (laughs) I feel like I want to do over. Yes. I am joined here today by Laura Aya. Laura Aya has been my personal friend for a very long time. She is a fellow Texas Longhorn, Texas Lassos for all of you Longhorn alumni out there. And she is joining me to share a little bit about this concept of beginning a new life, what it looks like after you have completed treatment and or paused treatment, or maybe have finished a portion of your treatment and you are moving into a maintenance phase or a holding pattern and how you navigate that process of all that that entails, because you are essentially closing a section of a very chaotic time and moving into more of a stagnant time. And you're having to rebalance all of that. And I feel like I could talk about what I feel like that would look like, but that would be a huge waste of your time. (laughs) And it would be much better to talk to somebody who is so brilliant and has actually walked through that. So I am so excited to share Laura with you today and thought that Laura could start by maybe sharing a little bit about her. Yeah, well, thank you, Julie. I'm excited to be here. Um, And as you know, Wonders and Worries was super, super helpful for me and my family throughout my treatment, and I continue to recommend them every chance I get. So I'm 39 now. I was diagnosed with stage 3C breast cancer at age 34, just found it randomly. I wasn't doing self-checks, just felt a lump and did kind of the whole shebang, chemo, both oral and IV, radiation, multiple surgeries. Um, I have two children who were pretty small at the time, two to five when I was diagnosed. They are 10 and eight now. And so I'm five years out and my recovery has been multi-phased right? So you finish the treatment and then you're sort of done, but you're not. And I think kind of the world looks at you and thinks, oh, she's done. She's cured and it's over. And it was several years after that before I really felt that I had kind of moved into a new phase of my life and of health. But it was just like you described, kind of multi-chaptered. Professionally, you have continued. I know that hasn't always been the case, but for many years, you have chosen to, to work in healthcare, which I feel like adds an extra layer of compassion and empathy that you can give to the families we serve and to the staff you serve alongside, but also a little bit of that residual stress. Yeah. So I'm the HR director um, at Memorial Hermann in the Texas Medical Center. Um, I've been with Memorial Hermann for just over five years. So I had been with the company maybe two months when I found my lump. So, and I feel very strongly that I was meant to be there for my cancer. I left chemical manufacturing and oil and gas, got back into healthcare and had only been there two months. I had no network, no reputation. Nobody knew me or my work. And here I was being diagnosed with cancer and going to have to miss a bunch of time. 
I had just elected benefits and thank goodness I elected the STD plan that they make you the short-term disability plan that they make you pay for your first year. They don't just give it to all employees. And I thought, oh gosh, I'm 34. Am I really going to need that? I'm done having kids. Very glad I elected that. Wasn't eligible for FML. Was actually negative in my um, time off balance because I had pre-scheduled a vacation before I took the job. And I thought, oh, I'll earn my time off back. But it turned out to be the perfect place to be. My team rallied around me. I was able to ask for recommendations for surgeons and oncologists. My boss at the time actually was a cancer survivor and was able to really help me put some things in perspective and really helped me as a patient understand how we as a health system try to wrap around the whole family and kind of going through the whole treatment process myself much was able to understand that much better, how we wrap around the whole family and some of the challenges that my family, it wasn't just about me. I think especially with breast cancer, we focus so much on the woman that it majorly impacted my husband and my kids at the time were kind of an interesting age, you know, two and five, they knew mommy was sick and I wasn't trying to like hold an infant. So I was very thankful for that, but they didn't understand the depth of what cancer could mean for our family. But now they do. And so it's so interesting. Now they ask questions and they say, mom, what happened then? Or do you remember when you didn't have hair? And so I'm still five years later, carefully explaining to them on a different level what that was, what happened to mommy, you know? Gosh, I think I love, I don't love that for you at all. And I don't want you to, let me rephrase that. The child life specialist in me loves the child's brain. And how that brain just grows and develops through time and how an event that happened to somebody they care about at a young age can feed them years later with that same level of curiosity and passion. And I just, it's fascinating to me. And it's something that I could study for my entire life and never get tired of learning about it, which is how I know I'm in the right profession. because. I love studying about kids and their abilities to learn and process and digest information. You touched on your husband and I know him quite well too. And he and you are like my husband and me. We have been married. You guys are high school sweethearts and we are high school sweethearts. So he has been here for the long haul. And yes, this still even being here for the long haul, the change of going from healthy wife through the thick of newborn life to like, hey, there's this new chapter. We have kindergarten on the horizon. In Actually, you had a kindergartner. It was her kindergarten year. I had a kindergartner who is struggling very much. That's right. And I look back on that time. It was like, oh my gosh, that was a rough few months. Um, she was struggling a lot in school. And all of that. And then you're in this new job. How did you and your husband even... Was he able to take some time off too? Was he able to do FMLA as a option for spouse support? What did that look like? Yeah. So he was able to do intermittent FML so he could take off time if and when he needed to for my doctor's appointments, chemo. We were very fortunate at the time in many respects. I can find a silver lining with anything. Give me the challenge and I'll find it. So one of the things my parents had just recently retired. So my mom was actually able, she came to almost every single chemo with me and my husband didn't. So that allowed him to continue working. He's a teacher 
And it's not easy for him to just say, oh, I'm not going to be there today. Somebody else can teach you guys band. We balanced that that way. Friends rallied around, you know, and they bring food. And so people kind of are in shock. They don't know what to do. But my husband's school was very supportive. My work was very supportive. And he was able to take some time off, mostly for my surgeries. Most of the smaller doctor's appointments and things, I was able to have my mom or even a friend come. Sometimes you just need someone there who's listening another set of ears because I felt like I was in shock for about a year and a half. (laughs) Do you, how long was your treatment in totality that you were in this phase of intermittent FMLA, taking actual time off short-term disability? How long was that treatment phase? Um, Almost two years. So my treatment was kind of long and, and it took a couple of turns. And I always tell other cancer survivors, you're going to get a treatment plan and it is not linear. You will have one or two bumps. It's one of the most meaningful things that someone told me, another survivor, when I was first diagnosed, something's going to go wrong. You're going to get an infection. You're, you know, they're going to realize, oh, we misdiagnosed this thing and you're going to have to do a different medication. And so when those things happened, I just thought, oh, well, this is one of my bumps. You know, my friend told me I was going to have bumps and these are mine. And um, that helped me when things kind of took a different path. So the first part of my treatment plan was chemotherapy. And I was able to do that basically at work. So in a different building than my office was in, but it was really nice. I could work Mondays. I did a half day on Monday. I ate lunch. I did my chemo and then I went home. And then I was back at work on Tuesday. And I know that's not the same for every type of cancer, every type of chemo, but I worked through chemo. I was in a fog. I don't know that I was the best HR manager at the time that I could have been, but I was able to get my job done. That's amazing. Then I had one of my first surgeries, mastectomy with expander insertion, took a few weeks off. At that point, did not have STD or FML because I had only been at my job for a few months, so I didn't qualify. I was very thankful that my company had another option for employees and did medical leave. So I had STD that I purchased, but not the company one and not the FML because I hadn't been there the full 12 months. And my husband was able to take some time off for that. And we also sent the kids to Wella camp. So Wella is my mother-in-law and they went and stayed with her for about a week and she did a whole camp and she had kind of an intro and orientation video that she did for them. And Family and friends are just amazing in times of need. So then I did radiation, which is daily. So that was a a month. But thankfully, again, it was right on my campus. So I would go first appointment in the day, 8 to 8.30. I always said I enjoyed radiation. It was 30 minutes where I laid there and I got to listen to 90s country and nobody could bother me. And then I went and did my job. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I couldn't do laundry. I couldn't do my job. Nobody could bother me. No, I couldn't do anything. I just had to lay there. It was like the spa. Nobody was poking me. Didn't hurt. Then I did six months of oral chemo and that was unexpected. I had lymph node involvement. So I had to do six months of oral chemo. That's was like eight pills a day or 12 pills a day or something. Made my skin peel on my hands, but I was able to work. I just had a lot of weird side effects. You just kind of feel like a, I don't know, a walking kind of a joke. Like I had a weird fungus and my skin, it was just all weird. You just, it feels very surreal. And then I had my final reconstruction that next year for, which was a deep flap reconstruction. So about a year and a half of treatment. And I didn't truly feel kind of out of that probably two and a half to three years out. I kind of felt like 
back to my normal self. And I think that's the hard window where there's no major treatment milestones happening, but you're still not firing on all cylinders. Do you remember a point in your treatment plan where you were like, had that aha moment of, I'm on the other side, like I'm in the next phase. I mean, for some people, they say it is ringing that bell at chemo, but for a lot of our families we work with, there's so much of their treatment plan left after that, that they're like, yes, that's wonderful. And I'm so glad I've hit this milestone, but I still have so much. Was there a moment where you felt like, oh my gosh, here I am. This seemed like it was so far in the horizon and I'm here. I would probably say my three or four year anniversary. So I'm at five now. I was able to really spend time focusing on my health, which I hadn't done prior to my diagnosis or even after. I made some changes after my, my diagnosis, but it's you're going through cancer treatment. It's a really hard time to completely overhaul your life. You don't feel good. You don't feel like exercising. So about two and a half to three years out, I made some major changes, was able to lose a lot of weight and was just really feeling good. And I thought, okay, this is it. Like this, this is what it feels like to be firing on all cylinders, to feel happy and healthy and excited about life. As a cancer survivor, it never, or for me, I'll speak for myself, it never feels over though. Right. So I am on medication for a total of 10 years. I feel like the five year anniversary is a big marker for me because I know my survivor likelihood, you know, goes up with every year, but it, it always feels like that's in the background. Like it could come back, right? It could come back. And so that's always looming a little bit, but I did feel kind of back to my normal self or even better than my normal self because I was taking better care of myself even before my diagnosis. Do you feel like? You, you had anxiety or restlessness returning to a full-time capacity when you were still trying to kind of in that space, maybe between full reconstruction and, and, or maybe after your deep reconstruction before you had the next phase with the kind of the tune-ups and the, all of that stuff. Do you feel like you had a sense of restlessness or? Do you feel like you quickly moved back into like full on work mode? I would, I did not have the restless anxiety. And this is something that I think looking back, um, I always recommend therapy. It's the one thing that I didn't do for myself. I thought I was fine. I thought we were fine. My husband was fine. Everybody was fine. We focused more on the kids and just the logistics of everything, trying to keep the house calm. And so both of us had a lot of kind of internal anxiety about what is happening? What does this mean for our lives? What does this mean for our, our marriage and our future and our, the way we've, you know, split up responsibilities in the household. And so my anxiety, which I now know at the time I didn't, I thought I was handling it well because I was calm, but I look back and I built a cocoon around myself and just totally went inside. I have a survivor group here in my neighborhood that I've started. And I have a lot of friends that are survivors and in treatment and that's not the norm, right? I've definitely seen some anxious, very anxious people through treatment who are anxious about everything and it's a very frenetic energy and mine was not. And so I thought I was fine and I was not fine. And so I think you can have that anxiety in a different way. And so my energy was very much building a cocoon around myself and kind of shutting everything else in the world out. And 
there was some good to that because I wasn't working myself up, but I also wasn't working through some things that I probably needed to work through. And that probably took a good, good two years to where I felt like I had broken that cocoon down and I was back into a flow of just being at ease with my family, being at ease at work, feeling, going home after a day of work thinking I did cool stuff today. I had creative ideas and not just, I made it through the day. I feel like that, that sharing about therapy is, is so amazing, especially because I think that a lot of our families that are listening, they think I can't have one more doctor's appointment. I can't go to one more thing. I can't take on one more expense for my family because this treatment is already going to take us years upon years upon years to ever repay. And the value that can come with focusing on self-care in terms of mental health and working through this emotional trauma that you just went through as a family, but also individually, you had toxins pouring through your body to kill cells that were healthy and unhealthy. There is trauma that goes with that. And I feel like that is great advice to step back and share, especially because that's not something you did right away. And there's value in that. Yeah. And there's, you think you're fine in the moment. You think I'm fine. We're fine. (laughs) And then you look back and you think, wow, I was actually processing. Did I do something to cause this? Right. Did I not take care of myself? You know, I worked in chemical manufacturing. What did I do? Right. And my husband's thinking, oh my gosh, she handles everything in my household, the taxes. What am I going to do? These are big, big feelings. Have I made the right choice with my career? Do I live where I want to live? Like I've always wanted to live in the mountains. Are you having these big, big feelings? But in the moment I thought, okay, just go to the next appointment, stay calm, manage your stress. And I wasn't working through those. I was just kind of quieting them. And so that's probably the one thing that I would do differently if I could do my treatment over. No. (laughs) Everybody in the family to be in there. Yeah. But let's not do treatment over, I guess. Let's just... No. (laughs) Let's just learn and move on. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Aside from therapy, and you mentioned this incredible support group that you have started, which I would love for you to kind of share a little bit about that in a minute. What other tools have been helpful in kind of bridging that treatment life to... I hate to say regular life because no life is regular because you do still have this whole concept of beginning anew, right? You're not the same person. You're not returning to regular life. You are returning to maybe the same office building and maybe the same desk chair, but you are in no way the same Laura you were before diagnosis. And I think that is what this whole concept of beginning anew is. I think our families need to let go of this concept that, okay, this is done. And now I'm going back to how it was before. Because as much as I would love to say that that is something that I would hope for you, I don't hope that for you because you have just had this amazing strength and resiliency overcome hardship. You've worked tirelessly to get through that. Yeah, no, it's one of the interesting things when you go through probably kind of any major trauma, you think, wow, I've come out of this and I really like the person that I am now. And I like the lessons that I've learned. I don't want to go back to that other version of myself. 
So if I could write my own life, you know, it's a toss up. I don't know that I would wish this on anyone, but could I have gotten to this point where I have such clarity around what's important in my life, such clarity around the fact that no one is coming to wake me up and say, go work out. No one is coming to say, you only live once. No one is coming to do that. It's you. It's me, right? I am the only person who has that power. And it's funny. I told a coworker after my treatment, I feel like a different person. And she said, oh, you're the same person, Laura. And so I don't, I feel like I am living my life in a different way. At work, one of the things that is challenging is um, I don't really get worked up about anything. There are things that people get really stressed out about, you know, and I work in HR and I kind of have to tell people, look, we're not, this isn't brain surgery. We're we're dealing with emails and spreadsheets and there is nothing that's going to happen today that's going to stress me out. And I have to remind myself, that's not everyone else's the way they operate. (laughs) You've had a big reality check at a very young age in a way that a lot of people have not had. Most people do not have to face a stage 3C cancer diagnosis in their young 30s. It's just, it's not something that they have. And so this unique experience has given you this resiliency, Laura, that is just, it is, it is in your beginning anew. Like it is in your new chapter of you. That is, and I mean, I'm sure your coworker meant the kindest ways by saying you're the same. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But also you should be like, no, she's not. (laughs) She's not the same. (laughs) And I was very high strung before my diagnosis. Right. So I was a working mother. My husband works a lot of hours and, you know, we had two small children and it's just, a it's a lot. And you don't realize your level of stress around everything in life until you start to peel that away. And I think it's funny to see now, as we've gone through COVID, stripping away a lot of that stress for people happened when we kind of shut things down and they felt like, what well, this is what it feels like to not be on the go constantly, constantly behind the eight ball, constantly running around. This is what it feels like. I like the way this feels. I like who I am when I'm not running around constantly behind in my life, yelling at everybody because I'm stressed juggling and feeling like you're half doing everything and not doing anything well. So it's been interesting to me to kind of watch other people go through that with the pandemic, having kind of gone through that forced to go through that with cancer. And I remember maybe a year into my treatment, I was having a very stressful day at work and it was Valentine's day. And of course, who made the Valentine's mom made the Valentine's the night before And I dropped my daughter off at school and got her Valentine's and got my son to his different school with, you know, and I got to work and it was maybe nine o'clock and I looked in my bag and my son's Valentine's were in my work bag. And I thought, great, he's going to have his Valentine's day party at daycare and have no Valentine's way to go. Mom, I'm trying to keep their lives as stable and calm as possible. And now he's going to have this (laughs) you know, horrible situation where he doesn't have any Valentines. And so I just, and I'm new at this job. So what am I going to tell my job? I need to leave so that I can go drop off these Valentines. They're going to be like, are you serious? So I, I decided I'm going to go on my lunch break and I'm just going to go. I'm going to just get in my car and drive all the way home and drop off these Valentines. And on the freeway, I get a flat tire. Oh my gosh. And I mean, I, I called the 
service and they came and they helped me and it was quick, but I didn't, I didn't actually have time to go drop off Valentine's. I had to go back to work. And I remember calling my mom and saying, mom, I didn't even cry. I was so proud of myself. I said, you, there's nothing you can do. No one is hurt. You're going to go back to work. But before my diagnosis, I would have been in full meltdown mode. And I just remember being so proud of myself that I had several things go very wrong and I handled it. And it took a lot of mental work. Well, just as a mom who's trying to hold it all together, right? It wasn't, it's not about the Valentines, right? It's about the 17 other things we've already done that day or that week to just hold it all together. And then those one piece falls apart and you just like lose it. And so, yeah, managing my stress at work, managing my stress at home, taking care of myself, and it all feeds in into itself, right? So when I take care of myself, I'm a more patient mother with my kids. I'm more fun to be around with my spouse. I am more thoughtful with my friends. And I didn't see that before. I was just in this go, go, go mode all the time. Survival mode, really. What hope that gives to so many of our parents that are maybe going through treatment right now where it's like this weirdness of pandemic and unending. And I know that treatments have been so weird. I have a friend right now who is going through stage four metastatic breast cancer treatment. And just every day, she never knows, okay, have the rules changed where I go to treatment alone? Or can I have somebody with me? Or so now she's learned no matter what she plans her treatment on the days and times that she's made friends with who are also getting chemo at that time. And like, they've made their own company because they never know who else is going to be there. So they don't even count on those rules. What we're saying is we know that even Laura's experience is different because it's unique to her. But we also know that she is telling you that she can be on this side of it and be working in a healthcare system in a pandemic, doing work dealing with people that are, are at their wits end with HR and they're coming to her on their hardest day and you're still able to find a space of calm. And I think that speaks volumes to what tools and support and resources can do to a person. And I love that this beginning anew has included space for that for you. I think that's important that you have prioritized a space to take care of your health. Absolutely. And I always felt like I knew if I got more sleep, if I ate better, if I exercised, things would be better. I'll start it later. I knew that I could do it later. And then you're faced with a diagnosis and you think, oh, wow, I really wish I could have done. (laughs) I wish I had developed these habits before. Um, And realizing that, yes, if, if you take care of yourself, if you handle, you know, previous unresolved trauma that you've had, if you are making sure you have good social connections. So I really tried to stay off large national Facebook groups. It was incredibly overwhelming during my treatment. I just didn't want anything to do with it. And that's not like me. You know, I planned my wedding with internet friends. I bought my house with internet friends. But for my cancer treatment, I didn't want to be overwhelmed with too many other opinions. And my doctor said this and my doctor said that. So local small support groups have been a lifesaver. Can you talk for a quick minute about how people find or how they even like you did start 
a local support group, how, how does one go about doing that? Yeah. So the first group that I was a participant in was through my oncologist's office. So my oncologist's office is through Texas Oncology and most of their locations have a support group for survivors. And that was helpful. One, just to be in a room with other people who get it, right? I think that as a society, especially in America, I feel like we talk surface level about cancer a lot. You'd have to be living under a rock to not know about cancer, but really nobody knows about cancer until you get it. And then you see the depth, right? I I have five, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Julie. I have five different physicians. I have excellent, it's just incredibly complex and overwhelming. And you don't, you think you get into it and you think I had no idea any of this existed. Even if you had an acquaintance that's gone through treatment for some type of cancer, until you're in it yourself with you or a close family member, you don't realize how deep and complicated it is. So to be in a room with other people who got that was really helpful. And they're local. They could say, hey, I didn't like my first surgeon. We did not click. And they said, get a different one. Find a different surgeon. Find one you click with. And they gave me the courage to do that. And tips to say, oh, you know, there's this store that has this drain pouch you might really like. And that's not always available on a national level. And then in my neighborhood, there were just a couple of people who I think on maybe our Facebook neighborhood group or next door asked, you know, I was recently diagnosed or my aunt was recently diagnosed. Do you have a recommendation for an oncologist? And you realize, wow, when there's 14 people that respond, I also have breast cancer. My oncologist is this. Me and another friend thought we should, we should start a group. And before the pandemic, we did fun things like would go to, there was a charity baseball game here for breast cancer survivors or a yoga, you know, trying to get together to do a yoga class in our neighborhood. And um, the pandemic, you know, especially with many of our members in active treatment, we've gone to Zoom, but it's still nice just to have local. And when someone's surgery, you know, is happening, I can go drop something off on their porch. So it's been nice to have people around you who are kind of going through it in the same way you are. Absolutely. And then you get to continue to be that support for somebody else in a way that's therapeutic for them and helpful for them, but also helpful for you because you kind of get to be that person that hope for them. You represent hope for them. And that's, that's nice when the world feels kind of bleak. Absolutely. I, you get a lot of unsolicited advice, right? As a, um, (laughs) a cancer patient, random, you know, my aunt tried this and that didn't work for her. I'm like, why are you telling me that? (laughs) Um, I loved random people saying I had cancer too, and I am eight years out. And I would just look at them like they were, you know, Zeus or something. I was just like, wow, eight years. So I loved seeing people where I had been years out running again, you know, playing with their kids, still able to work and, you know, say, yes, I remember when my hands hurt so bad, I couldn't even type or when I could barely walk or I thought I had MS because my, you know, nerves were so messed up. I couldn't walk straight. Here I am running a marathon, right? So I loved seeing people at that next stage. Gosh, I think that's so powerful. And I love that you are living in a city. Um, it, this was, this is, I think, magic too. I know that you're aware, but I know that 
maybe our listeners are not aware, Wonders and Worries has been expanding. And we actually have a physical Houston office now. And so I feel like that is such an amazing resource because we get to provide support that I wish we could have provided in person with your little kids. And you sent us a package. So we had books. You were available to answer any questions. And just planting that seed, I think parents are so focused on themselves and just keeping things normal and not talking about it and realizing, no, the kids are watching. They're always watching. They're listening. They're always listening. And for me, that big lesson that they're going to continue to ask questions and maybe they're going to ask some questions. Now my daughter's 10 that I didn't prepare an answer for when she was five. And I needed to now go figure out how to answer that at a 10 year old level. So it's, it's really ongoing. I will tell you, I have had many families who plug back in four years after treatment, five years after treatment and say, my child was an infant when I went through treatment. And now they are four or they are seven or they are six. And they are coming to me with all these questions. And I don't even know how to help them. We have tools for that. And the best thing is you don't have to come to in-person sessions to get those tools or, or start like this intense support group. You can even access it through our helpline. You can call our helpline. You can get a child life specialist on the other line. You can tell them exactly what's going on and they can help send you the resources that might help guide that conversation. They can do role playing if that helps it and work you through it. And then if it's still needed support, then we can find where there's support nearby. I will say the pandemic has opened so many options with virtual technology to be able to provide support for even kids in ways that we never have before. And and for adults, those resources like this podcast, we would have never been able to connect, I feel like, with Laura sitting in her closet in Houston and me sitting in my closet in Austin and have this connectivity to be able to share with maybe somebody, maybe one of you is driving around in Idaho right now and listening. And what a beautiful thing to be able to connect with people that are all going through something very similar, maybe, but in very different locations. What would you say is your biggest kind of advice for anyone navigating this next phase? To look at it as an opportunity to design a life you love. Look at this big change or big trauma that you've had in your life as a gift to re-examine everything. And you don't have to do it all at once. I certainly didn't do it all at once. I took it in small chunks, right? Working on my mental health, my spiritual health. And it took several years to kind of get through all the way to kind of physical health and relationship health. But really realizing that I no one is coming. It's up to me to craft the life that I want to live and to be the person that I want to be. And it's not always easy. I have bad days. <laughs> I have days where it's still tough or st- days where I get upset about something that's probably silly, but taking the opportunity to kind of create a new create, you know, we have these lists of things. Oh, I should get into painting or I should take salsa lessons. And I remember at some point in my treatment, I just said, you know, I never painted. And like, heck no, I'm not going out like this. I'm going to paint. And what was holding myself back is I thought, well, I'm not good at painting. Who would buy my paintings? Who would think they're good? So I paint now. 
I play the piano and I do it for me. I don't sell my paintings. I don't show anyone my paintings. They're for me. Some therapists will say, right, you can have different marriages in your life to the same person. You can have different relationships with yourself too. And so, you know, I look back on kind of Laura before cancer with much tenderness. And I know that I don't know who I'm going to be 10 years from now or 15 years from now. And so that kind of freedom to create the whatever version of myself I want to be today is really very freeing and kind of separating it, not trying to go back to just, okay, now that the treatment's over, the medicines are done, I'll just go back to exactly the way things were because it's too big of a change. And if you're feeling a little bit unsettled, that's okay. You've earned the right to take a minute and to get your grounding and to not be okay with trying to recreate the life you had before because you're not the same person you were before. So that kind of realization that this is my life. And I think so much of us spend time kind of waiting till waiting till the time is right, or waiting till things slow down a little bit, or waiting till our kids are bigger to do things that we love or to make, you know, take risks that we want to take. And the time is now. And there's nobody that's going to come push you and say, you know, you really should take that salsa class you've always wanted. So do it yourself. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast today. Please continue to check back as our content is ever evolving. For any recommendations or topics you would like to see covered, please feel free to send an email to podcast at wondersandworries.org.